HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Lou Bank. And I am Chava Perivar. And we want to take you and three friends on a virtual agave road trip. And this is not just leisure and pleasure, but you will be supporting at the same time the Heritage Radio Network, the world's first food radio station. So if you bid now on our virtual package at agavetasting.com, we'll take you on a whirlwind trip around liquid Mexico. You'll take some mezcal, some tequila, some raicilla, some bacanora, and probably even some soto. Without question, we'll also throw in some chocolate from La Rifa Chocolateria based in Mexico City. So join Chava and me on a virtual agave road trip. Bid on our package at agavetasting.com. That's A-G-A-V-E-T-A-S-T-I-N-G dot C-O-M. This episode is sponsored in part by Sacred, a not-for-profit that helps improve lives in the rural Mexican communities where heritage agave spirits are made. Since we obtained our official not-for-profit status from the IRS back in 2017, Sacred has gifted more than 32,000 Tobola agave seedlings to families in rural Oaxaca. These families are finding their cultural heritage at risk as access to agave is getting harder and harder due to the global explosion of interest in mezcal. Even as we continue to expand this program, we've also recently helped to launch a program that will build out three greenhouses in rural Jalisco to help protect four at-risk varieties of agave and three at-risk varieties of trees, while at the same time preventing these rare wildlands in Jalisco from becoming still more Blue Weber farms. To learn about these and other programs, visit sacred.mx. That's sacred.mx. If you love heritage agave spirits, please consider helping us protect that cultural heritage with a tax-deductible donation this holiday season at sacred.mx. Hey, Chicago, there's a gallery show going on that you won't want to miss. It's called Agave, and it features artwork made primarily from agave fibers left over from mescaleros in Oaxaca. I say primarily because there's also a musical instrument that looks something like a didgeridoo, but made from the heart and quixote of a matraquiche. Buy that and record a version of our theme song with it, and we'll feature it on this podcast. 
Agave will be on display in the Chase Gallery at the Epiphany Center for the Arts from now until April 9th. And every first Thursday, a different Agave Spirits Company will be on hand to sample out some of the liquid agave art that we love so much. For details, visit epiphanyshy.com. That's E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y-C-H-I dot C-O-M. Or... Follow the link from this episode page at agaveroadtrip.com. Hope to bump into you there. I'm Lou Bang. I am Chava Periva. This is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning podcast that helps Gringo X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today, I am going to lock you down in Lawland. Oh no! Okay, so you're you're going to be the lawyer, or going to be the uh, the the? I think one? we're both going to be lawyers. Okay, great. Right? Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Everybody Did thought. You really? Well, everybody said that I spoke too much, that I talked too well, much. I, yeah, and, and I uh, still say that. Yes, but they, therefore, I, and that I was a little bit aggressive uh, when I spoke. Like, I, I just, yeah. So everybody felt like, you will be a perfect lawyer, Chava. <laughs> <laughs> You're so annoying. You'd be a great lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a calculation. Definitely. That, by the way, is not meant to insult all of my lawyer friends. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, so so you and I just finished a uh, a four or five day trip through Jalisco, Michoacan. Yes. And we and had Colima, a Colima. Did we reach Colima? I don't think we did. Oh, did we, we? Well, we definitely came very close to Colima. Okay, we yeah. flirted with Colima. <laughs> and uh, and we had a conversation uh, with one of our friends um, that led to an argument in the car. Uh, which, honestly... Heated. It was yeah, heated. Well, which I never thought it was going to be heated with you. I, th- I, I thought we were going to have extremely similar, uh, a very similar point of view on this one, which never happens, but I thought <laughs> this was going to be the time where we will agree on something. Right. So the so the, the, the issue is, the issue is, you've got a bunch of brands who have, well, they have different, brands have different relationships with the palenqueros from whom they source their agave spirits, whether we're talking about mezcal, certified mezcal, or bacanora, or sotal, or or, or destilado de agave, right? And sometimes, sometimes the, the palenquero is a part owner of the brand, sometimes in a small way, sometimes in a large way. Sometimes the palanquero has no ownership, but then there's a contract between the brand and the palanquero, and sometimes it's an open contract, and sometimes it is an exclusive contract, and sometimes there's no contract whatsoever. They just just go there, buy every time you need some spirits, and that's it. Yeah. And just shake hands at the end of it, you get an invoice, chan-chan. Right, right. So that discussion that we started, and again, like, I, I think it's interesting because it also comes from a very specific life experience that you have working with Marvel, with artists. Well, I, I wouldn't say it comes from that, but I think it's informed by that, sure. Yeah, but you can, can you explain that a little bit? Because until you explained that to me, I, I spent half an hour shouting to you. And then you <laughs> said that. I was like, okay, then now I understand where that's coming from. Right, so, you right. Were... so, so the way that, the, way that uh, the comic book world works, or at least that it did work, I, I assume it still works this way, is, um, you know, you've got like a Marvel Comics that owns the character Spider-Man, and then Spider-Man is going to, the comic book is going to be written and illustrated 
by different people. And it's oftentimes like it can be as many as, as five, six, seven, ten people because there are so many different things to do. Um, and those people who make those comic books tend to be freelance agents. Yeah. So they just uh, they get paid by the project. Right. Okay. And and it's literally there's often no guarantee that you're going to ha- like you finish an issue. You might not be the guy who works on the next issue. And, you know, as a guy who's been doing freelance marketing work myself for, oh God, almost 25 years now, like I can tell you, I spend an inordinate amount of my time selling it, it, it's it, like selling the next project. And it's very it can be very frustrating you know, I, I am a salesman and my at the core of who <laughs> no, I am. No, no, no questions about that. Louis. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like at the very core of who I am, I'm a salesman. <laughs> but these artists and writers and, and, and colorists and letterers and like, that's not who they are. They're artists. They're yeah. artists. And, and I got to imagine it's so frustrating for them to spend so much of their time doing this thing that is not at the core of who they are. And so when we would, you know, we would, we would um, give, con- we would give. They Some artists and writers would earn <laughs> contracts with us. And so they would get like a three-year exclusive contract. And they were so happy because they knew that they didn't have to think about searching for work. They were going to have work. And so we're putting all that very long story and example, <laughs> because among a lot of people in the Mezcal context, we think of exclusivity contracts that brands make with producers as something that might not be as positive as what you're describing. Well, you think that way. Well, yes, I think that way. That was way. the whole argument in the yeah, car. Yeah, and, and, and the huge argument about that is that the there, I've encountered a few instances where, you know, as you're saying, like, these artists are not salesmen and they're also not lawyers, mm-hmm. right? So th- let's say they're not the best people at writing and maybe understanding or asking for changes in the cl- in the in the terms of a contract, right? Sure, and that's very true. Most and that's even more true with a lot of the mescaleros that we've met. I mean, a few of them that I've met, they they can read and write, but it's not. Uh, well, well, like, well, to be honest, Java, right? Like you can read and write. Yes. You're pretty, you're pretty, you're right. You're pretty sophisticated. But the truth is like, there are some legal terms that if you're not a lawyer can be very confusing, um, which I get, but you know, so, so does that mean that, that there shouldn't be contracts? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm like specifically right now I'm talking about exclusively exclusivity contract, right? Because I think there's, uh, and that's what we agreed on to speak about different types of contracts. Yeah. So I think that the first thing that I want to address is the exclusivity one, because you could say, okay, it's great. You get an exclusivity contract for a brand. Therefore, you don't have to go out and try to sell to other brands. Or but, or, or to tourists coming in or like Joanne, your job is done. You can focus on the thing that you love. You know, like Maybe you make a deal that you're exclusive except for the people in your community because you want to serve your community. But what I found, the instances of exclusivity contracts that I've seen personally the assumptions have things that are not really cool. For once, uh, it's they don't always necessarily say how much are they going to buy you a year. There's not a specific commitment that will tell you, I'm committing to buy 10,000 liters of you every year. And the second one is they usually try to lock the price at a certain place right? by, by, by having exclusivity with you. And a lot of these contracts that I saw happened... Uh, 
like 2014, 2015, right. where the prices were tremendously different than what we have right now. And, uh, and, and if there's a speculative market right now in the world, it's mezcal. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's the only one, but, well, yeah, but, well, but, well, you know, yeah. but I get your point, right? But, you know, I'd also say that if I'm a mescalero who signed a contract in 2014 that said I would sell 2,000 liters a year at, I don't know, 300 pesos a liter to some brand, and then the price of agave goes up, I go to that brand and I say, look, I can't do this anymore. Nobody expected this. And the brand says, sorry, you've got to honor your contract. Like, you know, number one, I'm thinking, really? Are you going to take me to court? What's that going to look like? Two, okay, here, I'll give you your your 2,000 liters. And I just give something that tasted like crap and is watered down and there are bananas in it. Yeah, and- but, but that, that's you being the smartest about this. No, nah, that's like, me uh, being a negotiator I, about I, it. I understand, but it can get very ugly to... like like I, as, I, as any rela- yeah, business relationship. I, I understand, but I think that that ugliness could be avoided if uh, the contract took in account different things. And, oh, 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 no uh, argument. But that's my whole point is I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it can be absolutely, I mean, life-saving is an exaggeration, but it can be it can be quality of life-saving to have an exclusive contract with a brand if that brand has put together a contract that actually supports the Palenquero in a way that they can just focus on the thing they love instead of worrying about how do I how do I bring in money in order to pay the, my family mm. who works with me in order to to ensure that I've got my fields taken care of like that can be a beautiful thing. Okay, yeah, like and and I think that's why we are talking about this because we think there's but 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 I think you know the other side of it that we should recognize is there are also these these. Um, the situations where you'll get a palenquero who is selling his or her spirits to multiple brands. Mm. And then you get like some of the brands fighting over who quote unquote owns that, that person, that human being, which is also very frustrating. Yeah. And, and I think like the big argument that some of us make, or I mean, like now that you explain this way, like I actually have second thoughts about, you know, like that, how critical I was. I love it when you think I actually have an intelligent thought. It makes me feel so yeah, good, yeah. Java. It doesn't happen very often. But <laughs> uh, but I think that one of the bigger bigger arguments that we used to use for the anti-exclusivity contract interaction was that the producers were more resilient if they have access to different brands. Like I said, we were not going to name uh, anybody in this one, but I think this is a good this is a good person to name. Oh, you're uh, making me so nervous. No, 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 no. Emmanuel Ramos. I had this conversation. It was published in the, in 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 Maguey Melate's website and in the videos. And there's I even edited a video where he talks about this. And he says he he has always been reluctant of having contracts with any brand because he thinks he should have the right to sell to whoever he wants, whenever he wants in the future. Right. And that's the like the other side of the coin. For the you know for the for the free mezcalero that can decide to use their recipe in whatever way they want and sell to whoever they think is going to appreciate that. Right, because, and try to find well appreciate it or try just try to find the best uh, buyer, the highest buyer, yeah, the highest and, bidder. And, and I would say that there's I think another element to the contract that gets complicated where you know we tend to talk a lot about the importance of keeping the heritage of these producers. We do. 
Yeah, we do. I, I think we shared that one, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes these contracts, they put them in a situation where they you know they might they might be able to make a little bit more money or they might be able to to have certain consistency but it's uh it's it's also not necessarily allowing them to do things in their own terms well but here again that is the decision of the individual pollen counter. Yeah. While you and I, yeah, this yeah, was yeah, the point yeah, I was yeah. trying to make. The yeah, way, yeah, but yeah. while you and I want the heritage, like that's yeah. not our business. Yeah, no, I get like it, if, yeah. if somebody, and you've said this a million yes, times, yes, if they, yes, 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 if somebody, if, if a pollen wants to change what they're doing, like they, they rock and roll. Yeah. Like it's none of our business. We love this way that things are done, but man, if 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 you have a child that you really want to put through college, it's going to take a lot of money, and yeah. then God bless, rock and roll, do that. If that's what you want to be and who you want to be and how you want your family to grow, God bless. Yeah, and I mean, I just, I think, and this is going to be a wild suggestion, <laughs> but uh, you know how there's been a lot of discussion of accountability on the set of brands. Uh-huh. I think it would be super interesting if a brand voluntarily was able to publish the contracts that they of course not would probably with with the amount of money and like you know they will have to cancel certain areas <laughs> of the contract but I yeah like you know there might be sensitive information but I think if you're talking about accountability and transparency on the relationship you have with the with the producers Maybe I, I, you, you know, don't love this I, idea. You no, I no, I do love it. You know, there there was a period uh, several years back. I just I got lazy and didn't finish it. But there's a period several years back where there's a lot of talk about these brands that would bring uh, bartenders down to Mexico from the U.S. Well, from all over the world, um, and. Uh, tore them through the palenques, venatas, tabernas, where the, the spirits were made, um, and they would. Some of these brands would force the the bartenders to sign um, non disclosure agreements. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you're talking about transparency, and I found that so frustrating that for a while, because you know, when I when I was going down back then, before you and I were doing agave road trips, and just. You know, it's difficult for us to fit anybody into our schedule now, but I, I would go down and bring bring a bunch of bartenders with me. And I thought about forcing them to sign full disclosure agreements, <laughs> FDAs, where like you're not allowed to come down unless you promise you're going to say to everybody everything that you saw on every one of your social media accounts. I still like it's still a dream of mine to have a full disclosure agreement. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. Yeah. yeah and I think that's that's the bottom line of what we are trying to get to with this episode that it just, how can we make this a win-win situation? And how can that win-win start with a piece of paper? And how can it benefit these, these families? Everybody. However, every, everybody, the, the, the investors, the brand owners, the families, Fair. the consumers, Fair. everybody that is part of this interaction. Right. You know, it's interesting. Like, really, what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say, translating in my head, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, when it comes right down to it, we butt heads so often, not just in this industry. I think in the world, people tend to butt heads over strategy, over the finite details of how something is done, when in fact, we're generally in full agreement over what we want the world to look like over objectives. I think that 
we tend as a species to really want mostly the same thing. We just disagree about how to get there. Yeah. And if, do you think, I don't know if we're going to have the time for this, but it will be amazing <laughs> to do a template of the perfect contract. <laughs> no, we're not going to. I don't even know that there is such a well, thing. Well, like, like I, I think that'll be an awesome thing to make. An, like, again, like, unfortunately, we... A, we don't have the knowledge to do that in terms of You know of what laws. we need? You know what we need? Instead of just having a, 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 an agave road trip um, a medi medicinal correspondent, what, what is Ryan? Well, a yeah, medical, a medical, medical correspondent. correspondent. We need to have a legal correspondent. That will be amazing. Yeah. Like, like imagine, because I think a lot of brands will really love how to do this responsibly, but it's a daunting thing to, to, like, to come up with, no? Okay, so if any of our listeners happen to be both Gringex bartenders and lawyers and want to be a, a, an Agave Road Trip legal correspondent, send a message into our website <laughs> at agaveroadtrip.com. Okay, so I think that's it. Rock Let's and roll, it Java. Hasta pronto. Adios, joven Lou. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound Engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.